Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Sunday, January 17, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And the last time we spent much time on Virginia, it was after the Cavaliers got whipped by Gonzaga the day after Christmas. They lost that game 98-75. I immediately removed them from the top 25 and one, and they stayed out of the top 25 and one, even after wins over Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Boston College, and again over Notre Dame, because heading into the weekend, they were still just eight and two with zero victories over teams ranked in the top 80 at Kinpom. Just wasn't much to the resume. But on Saturday, Virginia got Clemson at Clemson. Another real test. It was another quad one opportunity. And the Cavaliers provided us with what was, I think, the most impressive performance of the weekend. They held Clemson to just three points in the first 12 minutes, opened on a 29-5 run, and cruised to an 85-50 victory inside Little John Coliseum, otherwise known as the house Oliver Purnell built. So Virginia is now 9-2, and two, up to number 7 at Ken Palm, number 10 in the net, number 18 in KPI. I have Virginia 15th in the top 25 and 1. Dead leg, what was more incredible, Virginia scoring 85 on Clemson or Virginia holding Clemson? to just three points in the first 12 minutes on Saturday? That's a good question. I mean, Virginia was able to score on Clemson at a rate that no one had come close to this season. Um, And at the same token, how about this? How about Clemson entering the day? I think it's the, the later part of your question. Clemson enters the day on Saturday. Number one per possession team on Ken Palm and defense, Virginia was 14th when the game tipped. As a result of Virginia winning this game by 35 points, doing so with the second largest margin of victory for a, a winning team over a ranked team on the road in the history of men's D1 hoops. Wild. Because of that, Virginia jumps from 14 to 9. Clemson went from 1st to 7th in defensive efficiency in one game. And when you're 11 games deep, that's like a fairly drastic drop. So how about that? I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. But yeah, holding them so early, I sent out a screen grab uh, when when it was, I think, 20 to 3. Um, and there were definitely a, quite a few... Um, and I took that personally, Michael Jordan memes about Virginia seeing Clemson being the top-rated Kempom defense. And yeah, this is... I'm glad we're leading on this, GP, because in my weekend takeaways piece, which you can read uh, in the podcast description on this episode, I said that the Virginia outcome, we had a couple interesting ones, and we'll get to those, but to me, the Virginia outcome over Clemson, a Clemson team with a legitimate resume, and a Clemson team that is still going to have a chance to have its best seed in program history, the Virginia win was the biggest one of the weekend, the most impressive one of Saturday and of the weekend. There's no doubt about it. Um... And then how about this? It, it did not come as a surprise, I think, to both Virginia and Clemson fans. Clemson's averaging just 46 points in their past five meetings against uh, Virginia. And in the last 11 Virginia wins against Clemson, the margin of 
defeat for Clemson is 16 points. The margin of victory for Virginia is 16 points. Tony Bennett's got a hex over Brad Brownell. I still think Clemson's a really solid team, going to be in the tournament, but this was a significant outcome because in doing this, Virginia maintained its status atop the ACC. Louisville took a bad loss against a severely undermanned Miami team, lost its first ACC game. So no, Virginia's the only team undefeated in the league. It's right now sitting where we projected it would be. It's just been a bit bumpy, a little quiet for UVA, and here we go. Middle of January, Parish UVA on top of the league standings, as was predicted, and I feel somewhat safe saying that it, this will probably be how it goes. they got plenty of teams with one loss behind them, but uh, this was convincing me uh, to a level where I just don't think Virginia is really going to have a step back. The offense is good enough to think that they can sustain this. It's interesting because it's January 17th and Virginia, as you put it, is right where they should be. They, they have the best, uh, they're top of the league standings. They are, they appear to be the best team in the ACC. The computers say that they are the best team in the ACC. So they're exactly where they're supposed to be, but the path that they took to get here is not one that most of us envision. Obviously, second game of the season, they lose to San Francisco by one. It was just, I mean, it's like you make a shot, you win. You get a stop, you win. Like, it really just comes down to one possession. But, you know, this is a win-loss business, so they lost the game. Then they get pounded by Gonzaga and basically disappear for, for three weeks. If they just win that San Francisco game, they remain in the top ten the entire time. But the San Francisco loss, backed by the no-show, performance against the Zags knocked them out of most human rankings Mm -hmm. because they had no good wins to offset the bad losses. But now they got a big, impressive, overwhelming win. And like I said, super strong in the computers, 11th in offensive efficiency, ninth in defensive efficiency. They're shooting 59.1% from two. That ranks 11th nationally, 38.5% from three. That ranks 28th nationally. They are currently projected by Kimpom to win the ACC by multiple games. Virginia is now seventh at Ken Palm. No other ACC team is in the top 20. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last week. Uh, past seven seasons, the ACC's had multiple teams finish in the top 10 at Ken Palm. As of last week, they had zero in the top 10. Now they've got one, Virginia, but no others in the top 20. So it appears Tony Bennett is on his way to winning another ACC title. He's won four of the past seven So this would be five in an eight-year span. And what is remarkable is that this isn't just any league. This is the ACC with North Carolina, Duke, with, I believe, three active Hall of Fame coaches in Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, and Jim Beheim. So Tony Bennett has won four of the past – he's won four ACC titles in the past seven years. In that exact same span, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, and Jim Beheim, Naismith Memorial Hall of Famers, They have all combined to win only three. And all three belong to Roy Williams. So what Tony Bennett is, you know, you can, sometimes people say, oh, I think this guy should get in the Hall of Fame or I think this guy will get in the Hall of Fame. It's not even debatable with Tony Bennett. He is accurately described a future Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coach. He's already got a national championship, got a team that looks like it can compete for one this season and on the way to winning a fifth ACC title in what would just be an eight-year span. Remarkable stuff. Past seven and a half seasons, um, Virginia's just outpacing the league, man. And we're not breaking news here, but just a reminder to the listeners, you know, since 2013-14, Virginia has won, and I'll sh- give a shout to uh, Bart Torvik, who does a wonderful job covering uh, covering college hoops with his site. Uh, do check out barttorvik.com, a great companion to Ken Palm, if you will. 
Virginia's won 109 league games since 2013-14. The second closest is Duke. Carolina's third with 88. And then you get teams into the 70s, Florida State, Louisville, and that's about it. They're just greatly outpacing everyone else. Um, It bears out in the regular season championships. It bears out with the seeds that they're getting. It bears out with the overall win-loss record there. So you say it's not just any other league. That's right. It's it's Virginia's league, man. And they're they're on pace to, uh, to get this done. If you are... Inspired by this win, um, you should be so because of the way Virginia shot. At one point in the second half, Virginia made nine consecutive three-point attempts. This is not Virginia from a season ago, and even when it won the title, like it was never, and it might not have another game this season where it makes nine consecutive three-point attempts. That's really hard to do. It's lucky, if anything. Um, But it made 15 overall in the game from beyond the arc, shot well, and... If you can get to 80 and you're Virginia, you're in great shape. 39 times under Tony Bennett, Virginia's hit the 80 mark. They're 38-1 and one when they do so. And when you play Clemson, you're going to get the win. 11 straight wins versus this team. The teams are not scheduled to play again this season, which could become important in terms of breaking the tie if Clemson winds up continuing to play the way it's played and really doesn't take a, another bad loss. It could be right there with Virginia in the race. Virginia Tech could also be there as well. Uh, it's only got two losses, and at this point, the only game that those two are scheduled to play is actually at Virginia Tech uh, 13 days from when we're recording this podcast. So keep an eye on that, but I think Parrish and I are in agreement. We would expect Virginia at this point to do what it was projected to do. I was there in the building with the San Francisco loss. That was Sam Hauser had an opportunity, just missed it at the buzzer. You're right, if it goes in, it's a it's a close win, third day of the season, and, and certainly an inspiring one. And then, yeah, if the Gonzaga loss had played out how it played out, it would have bumped him in the polls and all that stuff, but they would have been just more out there on the radar, and it just hasn't been the case. This kind of win gets them there. They have, you know, rightful claim to top 10, top 15 status, and I just don't think that they're they're going to be losing anytime soon. They actually lost an upcoming game right. uh, due to COVID stuff. So their next scheduled one is at home against Georgia Tech, and then at home against Syracuse. This should be an 11-2 and two team eight days from now. Right. They were supposed to play NC State on Wednesday. That is postponed because of COVID issues in NC State's program. So the rest of the games, the upcoming games, remain on, like you said, Georgia Tech on Saturday, Syracuse on January 25th, and at Virginia Tech on January 30th. Those are the next three games on the Virginia schedule. And I should say... um, you know, last season's Virginia team could not shoot at all, but the championship team shot it well, 39.5% from three-point range. Uh, that was good enough for eighth in the country. That team was second in offensive efficiency, fifth in defensive efficiency, and that's why they finished 35-3 and three as national champions. Is this team as good as that team? I, I don't think so. No, not even close. But is this team good enough to win the ACC and go to a Final Four and, by definition, compete for a national title? Uh at least on Saturday, it certainly looked that way. There were lots of other interesting results this weekend. We're going to get to some of them next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. 
Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So it was a busy weekend of, of college basketball. Lots of interesting results. Number one, Gonzaga got pushed a little. Still won by double digits at St. Mary's. Number two, Baylor won at Texas Tech. Number seven, Michigan took its first loss, got crushed at Minnesota. Number eight, Creighton got upset at Butler. Number 14, Illinois lost again, this time to Ohio State. Number 16, Louisville, Norlander mentioned this earlier, got upset at Miami, shorthanded Hurricanes. Norlander, I know the lead item in your weekend takeaways column was on Illinois. So before we get to the other stuff, let's stop here. Brad Underwood's team lost 87-81 to Ohio State, so that's two straight upsets at home. They're now just 6-5 and five in their past 11 games. This team is talented, experienced, guided by a great coach, but they've already lost five times, and they were favorites in four of those five games. What's the problem? Not good enough defensively, and they're not poor, but they're just not good enough. Too many lapses. Illini fans listening to this podcast that watched the game saw Ohio State just get too many opportunities with good shots. And for a team as talented as Illinois and, frankly, as capable on that end of the floor, it still is a little bit vexing. This was the lead item in my 10 takeaways piece because I thought – Illinois losing this game after dropping a game to unranked Maryland was just a bit surprising, and it kind of made me step back and look at what they've done, what they haven't done, and we should have, you know, we're pretty much halfway through the season here uh, with Illinois and with most teams that have been able to get in 13, 14 games with the 27-game regular season, then we'll wait and see what happens with conference tournaments. And Illinois, when I filed the story Saturday night, it was factually accurate that Illinois at 9-5 and five did not have a win over a top 25 Ken Palm team. That changed when everything, you know, kind of fell into place. Technically, that's not true. Minnesota's now 24. Duke is 25. Illinois has beaten both of those teams. So they do have two top 25 wins. No wins in against top 23 teams at this point. And you could really argue that the Duke win... Um, as a top 25 team, you know, I know they're there in Kempom right now uh, in name, but in spirit, that just doesn't even feel accurate to this point. Um, Illinois has been struggling against uh, the good teams it's played, and it has not made the jump that I that I thought it would make, that you thought it would make, and that I think pretty much everyone rationally thought it would make. Because this was a team a season ago that was a good Big Ten team. It won 21 games. It was going to go to the NCAA tournament. It wasn't a Final Four threat, but it was capable and certainly could have made a second weekend. Then the idea was that Ayudasuma was probably going to declare and go pro, and Kofi Coburn was expected to come back, but he still flirted with it. So if you got one or two, great. They wind up getting Dasumu back. He's still been really, really good. Coburn's still been really, really good. I still think Andre Corbello's got a way to go, but the freshman, I, I, I like what he is, and I think that in a couple of years he'll grow into a really fascinating, fun, Big Ten, valuable kind of player there. Adam Miller has not been an elite freshman at this point, but he's still an important player to that. And Trent Frazier, Georgie Bajanasvili, they've still all been you know pieces that have been contributing, and yet the whole is not greater than the sum of the parts here. And Illinois did not make the jump that we expected it to. It's just merely it's just merely been a little bit better than last season. 
You know, last season it was a fringe top 25 team. And now it's a top 25 team kind of flirting with being ranked or not. That's where it is right now. I still think I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. And I didn't get a chance to, to catch you on Inside College Basketball on Saturday night. But I would, I would think that you guys touch on this as a topic here. But I'd be interested to see what your opinion is on Illinois and if it's still a, vi- a viable Final Four team. Because I picked them in the preseason to make the Final Four. But at a certain point, unless it can get it turned around on defense, and Underwood was pretty... Uh, uh, he was pretty committed to, to telling the press afterward, like, this is just not going to stand. So the team... He was basically saying, the team you're going to see going forward is this is just not going to be what we're going to be. Well, let's wait and see. But I don't know, man. They're talented. I think they're the most unreliable, really good team in college basketball. I think they're really good. I just don't know if I can trust this team to win four times in the tournament when I know that three of those four games minimally are going to be against good teams. Prove it to me. Just hasn't They haven't proved it yet, GP. They've yet to win three straight games over really good teams. The closest would be Indiana, Purdue, and Northwestern. But Northwestern, we saw what it couldn't do against Iowa on Sunday. So what are your thoughts on Illinois, and would you trust this team to uh, be in March what you thought it could be back when we made our forecast in November. I know you were busy. You couldn't watch Inside College Basketball on Saturday night, but it sounded like you did because you really? almost quoted me word for word. I swear I didn't I, watch it. I swear. That's funny. No, I, I believe you. I said, um, I said, listen, this team, from a talent perspective, is, is good enough to make a Final Four. That was the preseason goal. But can you trust them to win four games to get to that final weekend? Maybe, but right now it doesn't look like it. And that's the problem. Right now it doesn't look like it. They've got five losses. And I don't get caught up in number of losses the way, I mean, listen, you'd prefer to not have five at this point in the season. But, you know, Illinois as a five-loss team is better than some undefeated teams in the country right now. Like, you know, the schedule's got everything to do with this. One of the losses was to Baylor. They were an underdog in that game. No big deal. But the other four losses come in games where they were favored. They lost as a three-and-a-half-point favorite at Missouri, as a two-point favorite at Rutgers, as a ten-and-a-half-point favorite at home to Maryland, and then as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at home to a short-handed Ohio State team. And they let Ohio State shoot 54% from the field, 53% from three. Like You're not beating anybody. They do that to you. So clearly there are some issues on the defensive end of the court, but I think the, the, the larger issue is just consistency. You know, when you, when you have all these uh, aspirations as a basketball team coming into a season, if you're Illinois, it's tied to we've got two borderline NBA players coming back. So we're going to have experience and NBA talent. All we need them to do is take th- their individual jumps and that will drag us to another level as a basketball team. That's the way this stuff usually works. Yeah. Well, Ayu DeSumo is better than he's ever been. He's averaging 22 points, 6.7 rebounds, five assists per game, shooting 42% from three. Up in every every traditional statistical category, he's up. Kofi Coburn averaged 13 and 8, 13 and 8.8 last season. 13 points, 8.8 rebounds. This season, 17.1 points, 10.1 rebounds. Shooting percentage is up to 70 point eight percent he's taken that leap Ayu took the leap teams marginally better I mean they're, they're better but they're not what they should be and so I think it, I think it really does come down to like consistency focus and I think you've you've seen this on the sideline with Brad and you've heard him talk about it in 
post-game press conferences. You know, why can you do nothing against Northwestern in one half and then roll them in the next half? Why can you um, beat Minnesota but then lose at home as a double-digit favorite to to Maryland? And I am – as a fan of things myself, this has got to be the most frustrating experience as a fan base. Like if you're great, that's fun. If you suck, we'll clock out. But when you have the pieces to be great and sometimes actually show greatness, but then look bad just as quickly, that's just frustrating. Now, you know how this tournament works. You get in it. You catch the right opponent. You, you, you have two good shooting games. Boom, you're in the final four. Nobody believed in us. Let me be clear. I believe in them. I think they can get there because of all the pieces in place. And I think Brad is one of the best coaches in America. But you know, through, through January 17th, they have been disappointing relative to what's capable and relative to preseason expectations. Yeah, and Illinois fans just have to be, you know, just biting their cheeks a little bit over this because they know how good the team can be. And it's just, again, offensively, they're still getting it done. But it's a real problem when you lose at home to a just-okay Maryland team that doesn't have Eric Ayala. And then Ohio State doesn't have... Uh, C.J. Walker doesn't have its, its number one and number two options at point guard and still gets it done. So with that being said, I'll just a, a quick note on Ohio State here because it does deserve credit. And for Chris Holtman to have this team at 11 and three, like they were projected to be a top 25 level team, make the tournament. And they're, and they're certainly headed that way. But, you know, you line up both teams, both rosters, the games at Illinois gym. I know there's no fans there and everything like oh, Illinois should be winning that game, especially when Ohio State doesn't have its starting point guard and CJ Walker's a really important facet for that team. So credit to uh, Holtman and that team for getting it done. Illinois did make a late push, but Ohio State led for most of the game. And uh, to get 87 there, you know, you look up and Ohio State suddenly it's got the number six rated offense per possession in America right now. And I, that's just not a team that you associate with really effective scoring. But similar to Illinois, it's kind of carried over from last season on that end of the floor and gotten better and uh, and certainly is pacing itself. I wrote in my takeaways, you know, at this point in the season, um, you know, we've had Illinois, Iowa, Michigan and Wisconsin kind of, you know, kind of rotate as the best team in the Big Ten. The only team that hasn't really been put there that I think could still get there really is Ohio State. And their time might be coming a week from now, two weeks from now. So credit to uh, to Holtman for getting it there. But yes, to just uh, to kind of put a bow on Illinois, it's it's going to be a team that when it gets to the tournament, you're always going to feel like it's going to have that opportunity. And it's just a bit vexing that the two best players are undeniably better this season. But on the whole, and particularly with defense, they're just not quite good enough. Don't get me wrong. They're a good team. This should be a great team, and it's just not there. I'll be interested to see their next two to three games and if Underwood and that staff can really change something to the point where if we're talking about the Illini three, four, five podcast episodes from now, we're talking about a team that suddenly peeled off three or four wins in a row when every win's been by double digits. Can you do that? Can you exert that dominance? Because if you can't, then I think we'll rightfully keep them pinned in kind of that second tier at best or maybe even third tier depending on where the wins or losses will come in the next few weeks. There was a team... As you're talking through this, it just it popped in my head. Needless to say, I can't remember. Somebody else might, as I say it. And if if you do remember it or think you might know it, tweet it at me because when I hear it, I'll I, it'll I'll remember. But there was a team sort of like this I, again. It could have been five years ago or ten years ago. 
but it was a t- they all they had all the pieces in place. They showed signs here and there throughout the season, but just for every great win, they just give it back with a bad win. They still got in the NCAA tournament. And I can remember talking about them like, that's just, I could still see them like, you know, like that, that, that still looks like a team that could advance to, you know, all the way to the final four. And then they lost in the first round of the tournament. It was just like, you know, they never quite became what it is they were supposed to become. And this Illinois team is reminding me of that. I'm not ruling anything out yet. It's still middle of January. Um, that obviously lots of time to, to get things straightened out that need to be straightened out. But, but right now they're just, they're not consistently what they should be. And I, I know that's frustrating Brad and by extension has to frustrate the fan base. So before we move on to the rest, two kind of teams spring to mind. They, this is probably in who you're not thinking of, but, and this is more than a decade ago. So it's definitely not who you're thinking of. There were a few Arizona teams that were like this. And then they just couldn't put it all together. Maybe NC State recently. Maybe there was an NC State team in there. But the uh, other I, one. I know it it might have been an Arizona team. I know it was not an a, NC State team. Okay. <laughs> not even in the I would, never, I would never think that way. Yeah, how dare I? Um, uh, the the 2008-2009 Wake Forest team had Jeff Teague, James Johnson, Al Farouk Aminu, uh, Ish Smith, and started the season 16-0. and Finished the regular season at 24-6, and six, heading into the NCAA tournament, had a four seed, had all the talent, plenty of pieces, got upset by Cleveland State in the first round. Not just upset, got beat by 15 points. So I know that's not who you were thinking, but as no, you but were... That, that sounds exactly like what I was thinking. Exactly. That's not I, it. I remember it. that Wake Forest team was so frustrating because they started hot and they just when when it got to ACC play they just took a couple of bad losses and it was the kind of team you know post Chris Paul era by four or five years where you thought okay this team might actually be good enough coached by Dino Gaudio and it just didn't get put it together this Illinois team in some ways reminds me of that one so it's interesting you brought that up because when you were saying it the Wake team from uh 10-11 years ago was exactly who popped in my mind I'm gonna as soon as we get through with this like start tearing through brackets and and I'm gonna try to figure it out because I'll know it when I it's one of those things I think I'll know it when I hear it because I remember I at least remember the idea of it pretty clear even if I can't remember the details right now let's bounce around some of these other results um like I mentioned Gonzaga won by double digits at St. Mary's Baylor won at Texas Tech Michigan got crushed at Minnesota Creighton upset at Butler Louisville disappointing loss at Miami take it wherever you want to take it all right um almost basically nothing from Sunday we'll focus on Saturday Sunday had really nothing of uh of interest for GP there's something of interest Memphis lost again he will have you will have no shortage of of uh talking points on your Monday radio show but for the purposes of a national podcast the Tigers are definitely irrelevant this season and maybe for my Monday radio show you gotta you gotta I need your fingers crossed for a second we gotta hope that the Grizzlies son's MLK day game does not get postponed because of COVID issues, because that game is scheduled to tip at four central. We are the radio home of the Memphis Grizzlies. I got Monday off baby (laughs) as long as the, but, but here's the problem. Jonas Valanciunas has tested positive for COVID. So we're in a, we're in a dicey situation. The last thing I want to do is prepare for a radio show that I never actually do. So just everybody, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, but if you get a second, I could, I could use some, some well wishes 
we need the Grizzly Suns game to to happen on time on Monday so that I don't have to do a radio show. Um, and yes, the Tigers stink. They are they want to if not for Kentucky, they would be on they would be on the list yeah. of most disappointing teams in America. You're right. Um, I'll save Kentucky for the end. We can we can touch on that. I'll, let me just do a quick tour through here. Um, Gonzaga and Baylor uh, they played probably their worst games of the season and they still won. Gonzaga won relatively easily. Um, weirdly enough. Uh, Gonzaga failed to cover a road game against St. Mary's for the first time in nine games, and the only reason why that was that happened was Omar Balo had an easy dunk with like I don't know twenty seconds to go, and he he missed it. So anyone that bet Gonzaga to cover, I'm sure that's one of those classic bad beats. But uh, but that was surprising when I'd come across that set. I didn't realize that Gonzaga was a, a cover machine at St. Mary's, given the history of that rivalry. Um, you know, what do you want me to say? They win easily and they don't play well. Uh, that team's not getting beaten unless there's a serious injury or BYU when it hosts Gonzaga in the regular season finale plays an, an A-level game and it can have a chance. Otherwise, they're not losing there. Baylor gets a 68-60 win at Texas. Jared Butler was shut down for most of the game. He hits a three when they're up by one with 4.59 to go. Baylor takes a, a four or five point lead. They never got close again to Texas in terms of like making it a one or two point game. Baylor kept him at bay. It's the first time Baylor this season has won a game by single digits. To me, Minnesota over Michigan was uh, really the the result of the weekend. Didn't surprise me. We did not have this in the final four and one. I was all ready to come out here and crow, but we talked about it on HQ uh, in the pregame on Saturday morning, and we had it on the site. It was not in the final four and one, um, but I had Minnesota winning this game straight up. It did. It won easily. Interestingly enough, Iowa and Michigan, which are tied atop the Big Ten standings right now, they share the same single loss in the league, both at Minnesota. Iowa dropped its one in OT on Christmas there. The Michigan loss just doesn't mean that much to me. Minnesota is going to make the tournament. They're going to be a single-digit seed. They've proven that they can beat capable teams. They played wonderfully. Marcus Carr uh, continues to be an all-Big Ten level player. Michigan got got. It's just one of those things where no reason to overreact to it. Yeah, that you take the loss there. For Minnesota, it's just an inspiring win and a quad one level kind of win where even if Minnesota takes one or two more bad losses this season, which I think it probably will, and bad is relative in that league, it's going to have enough good wins where I think it's going to have a relatively healthy seed. But you did have a little bit of uh, upsetting the apple cart in the Big Ten. Michigan no longer undefeated at the top of the standings. Now Iowa and the Wolverines are tied atop the standings there. Elsewhere, GP, um, Carolina lost uh, a good opportunity to get a good win at Florida State. I, I think that just hurts it overall. As we sit here tonight, I had this in my takeaways. We are looking at a situation where a lot of big brand programs are not likely to make the NCAA tournament. Now, I still think that we're going to have some of these teams get there, but Arizona, which is not going because it's on self-imposed, plus Duke, Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan State. I'll say that again. Arizona, Duke. Indiana, Kentucky, UNC, Michigan State. Those are six of the 10 biggest programs in the sport. And at least three of those six, at least, no, sorry, at least four of those six have made every tournament since 84. 84 to 2019, at least four of those six have been in an NCAA tournament. You'd have to go to back to 83 when at least three of those teams didn't get in. And I think we're going to have that this season. Right now, North Carolina's chances of making the tournament according to Torvik, are 46%. Indiana's at 36. This is surprising to me. Duke is 33. Michigan State is 27. When we did this game a couple podcasts ago, we thought Michigan State was the safest. We might wind up being right, and Kentucky's just sitting there at 2%. Their net rankings right now, UNC is 54. 
Indiana's 56. Duke did not play this weekend. It's 93. Michigan State is 83rd in the net. It did not play this weekend. And then Kentucky is 97. So North Carolina thought lost a, a really important uh, chance there. Don't have too, too many thoughts on Creighton taking the loss other than it's bad. That's a that's a C-line bump. Classic C-line bump, GP. Not good for the Blue Jays there. Not good at all. Butler's not that good. And they couldn't win it in OT. And then Louisville, that's probably the most... Not inexplicable, because I also predicted Miami would win that game, but Miami was severely undermanned, and for Louisville to not get a win there, you know, I still think the Cardinals are a top 25-level team. I did not see where you bumped them down to, and if you bumped them out of your rankings or not, but if you are the kind of team that wants to compete with Virginia for an ACC title, I know it's a road game, but Miami did not have a bunch of important players like to the point where it just has no business winning the game and yet it, it wound up it wound up winning it didn't have um uh Cameron McGusty uh likes was Chris likes was not in that game and uh, Earl Timberlake wasn't in the game so that was that was the one that I thought was relatively notable among the ones you mentioned because Louisville should be winning it Miami's just not too too good this year at six and six and it couldn't get the W what stood out to you well I did drop Louisville out of the top 25 and one you know it, it that's a bad loss and they don't have enough good stuff on the resume to offset that bad loss. Do I still think it's a good team? Sure. Do I still think it could compete for an ACC title? Of course. But um, on Sunday morning, I didn't think they belonged in a ranking of the top 26 teams uh, in America. They took a bad loss the same way Creighton did. And I dropped Creighton Creighton like 12 spots. Uh, I mean, Butler's terrible. You know, Butler entered that game ranked 100 at Ken Palm, 167th in the net. They were three and seven. And I know that Creighton was without Marcus Zagorowski. That matters. But even without Zagorowski, they were sizable favorites. And they were up 13 points with eight minutes to go. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, they're up, I did. They're up, they're up eight, 13 points with eight, eight minutes to go. And they score four points in the final eight minutes of regulation, get pushed to OT, and then lose. So that's a rough loss. And if you're trying to you know, compete with Villanova under the assumption that Villanova ever plays basketball again, then you, if you're trying to win a Big East title for the second consecutive year, at least a share of it, you can't lose a game like that because Villanova's not losing a game like that. Villanova might lose somewhere, but it won't lose there. You can't lose that game. That, that, that is a classic situation of you taking a scheduled win, turning it into a scheduled loss, and actually t- taking an actual win and turning it into a loss, given that you were up 13 points with eight minutes to go. You up 13 points with eight, eight minutes to go against a sub-100 team. You got to finish that. No matter who's on your roster, they weren't able to finish it. Like you, I'm not concerned about Michigan at all. You know, they beat Minnesota one week by 25 and then they lose to Minnesota by 18 the next. It's a 43-point turnaround. It's a comeback-to-earth game a little bit for Michigan. You know, they had 20 turnovers, 16 assists. Hunter Dickinson had five turnovers and only five field goal attempts. That's weird. He entered the game averaging 10 shots a game. He only got five against Minnesota. That's obviously not a recipe for success. But I only dropped Michigan from third to fifth in the top 25 and one. The resume is still really, really strong, even with that lopsided loss on it. Um, Michigan's loss left Baylor as the only undefeated team from a power conference. The Bears are now 12-0, and 11 double-digit wins. They beat Illinois and beat Texas Tech. This is now clearly, and it's been clear for a while, but just a reminder this weekend, they are one of the two best teams in the country. Uh, Jared Butler struggled. He's the All-American. Two of 11 from the field, seven turnovers. No problem. Adam Flagler comes off the bench. 
makes three three pointers, finishes with 15 points. He's the transfer from Presbytery, an important rotation player. Baylor probably needed him to do something like that to stay undefeated. They got it, a performance like that, so they are still undefeated. And I thought the quote from Chris Beard post game was telling. He sat down and I don't know if it was the opening statement or if it came in the context of him answering a question, but at one point he's talking to reporters via Zoom and he said, fellas, I can tell you they are just as good as advertised. And that's an incredible compliment coming from a coach, the caliber of Chris Beard, a man who was in the most recent national championship game. When he sits down in the same week that his team won at Texas and sits down and says, Hey, everybody thinks that's one of the two best teams in the country. And I'm just telling you, um, they are. And oh, by the way, before the game, he said, I'm just telling you, we will have to play the best basketball we've played all year to, to have a chance to win this game. He said this two days after they beat Texas at <laughs> Texas. Yeah. In other words, if you take him at his word, I have no reason not to. We have to be better than we were when we won at Texas the other night to beat Baylor at home. Um, and then for him afterward to say they're just as good as advertised. Um, just, I don't think we need any more confirmation that Baylor is awesome, but to get it from Chris Beard's mouth, again, it's just something I noticed. The uh, I'll mention something on the Pac-12 before we pivot to Kentucky, but on the topic of Baylor specifically, uh, Monday night there are only two really hugely notable games. Sure, St. John's at UConn. <laughs> it's a nice little 2.30 tip. Uh, UConn's going to try and remain uh, you know, top 25 level. But uh, 7 o'clock, Florida State at Louisville is an interesting game with some urgency in that league, but the big one is Kansas at Baylor. And for Baylor to have a... Uh, a turnaround here from Saturday to Monday. It was on the road Saturday. Now it gets this game at home against Kansas. Obviously a highly significant game. That's a 9 Eastern tip on ESPN. You'll recall, or maybe you won't, but I will because I was there. Uh, these teams met in this venue back in February of last year when it was a number one versus number three matchup. Kansas got that win. It was a wonderful game, just a fantastic atmosphere. Um, that's when I think I signed a dude's shoe. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened there. I think we talked about that on the podcast. Uh, would love if that game could be uh, as good as this one. Kansas won in large part because of Yudoka Azubuki. He's gone. Baylor will obviously be favored. As of right now, the projection on Ken Palm is Baylor by 10 points in this game, 76-66. I could see it happening, but uh, but it is Kansas and Bill Self, so just keep an eye out on that. It's a huge, huge game on a Monday night. There's no college football anymore, obviously, and uh, and the NBA does a lot of day games and some night ones. But for MLK, uh, there's always a lot of day games in the NBA or some you know late afternoon tips. So um, that's the biggest game in, in basketball on Monday. And Baylor, if it can get that win, I think it's just uh, it will throw an even more convincing case on the table for them uh, moving the Big 12. Any thoughts on that before I pivot to the Pac-12? Are you good? I, I can't wait for, um, you know, I have two hopes for Monday. One, that the Grizzlies game happens so that I don't have to do a radio show. And two, that my kids are settled down enough so that I can focus um, uh, focus in, in a real way on, on Kansas Baylor because – Honestly, I hadn't even looked that far ahead in the schedule. I, I was sort of just, I was looking at Baylor's resume on Saturday night. I was like, oh, wow, they got Kansas coming in like, you know, in two days. It, it is a quick turnaround, back-to-back high-level um, opponents. But, you know, at this point, I'm just assuming Baylor can handle it. Like, I, I, I really don't think I would pick against Baylor anywhere in the country against anybody in the country unless they were playing Gonzaga. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Kansas won the league last year, by the way, obviously. But if it doesn't win this one, uh, Kansas is going to have three losses in the league. Baylor will still have zero. Texas is the only team standing between them with one, and, and Baylor will be in command. Just real quick on the Pac-12, do you want to give them some love here? Because there are three teams that all got wins over the weekend. In fact, they're all on uh, some good winning streaks. Colorado uh, just had no issues with Cal and Stanford. It's won four in a row, including a, a very treasured win over Oregon. And it's 11-3. and three. It's 13th in Ken Palm as we record this GP. It's just kind of it's zipping under the radar. It's going to make the tournament for the first time in five or six years. And uh, Tad Boyle's doing a good job there. Wanted to give the Buffs a little bit of love. McKinley Wright remains, in my opinion, one of the 10 best uh, point guards in the, in the country or so. USC and UCLA, the two California, LA area schools, they have in consecutive weekends uh, swept the Arizona schools and swept the Washington schools. And that's to be expected. But we're obviously going to give Mick the GOAT plenty of love on this podcast. They're 11-2 and two and, uh, and took care of business uh, against Washington in a closer game than it should have been, only a five-point win. USC continues to get the job done, uh, them at 11-2. So the Pac-12 is is establishing really a top four. Um, UCLA, Colorado, USC, Oregon's in there as well. And then you probably have Stanford that's got a shot to crack through. Um, I think that's probably about it. Washington is bizarrely horrible, 1-11 and 0-7 in the league. We Dude, can, I mean, at some point, we got to talk about Washington. I mean, Does it have I, to be now? I mean, if you want to make it now, it can. But no, it's, I don't want okay. to make it now because like, I'd like to actually research this a little yeah. bit. But where I would start my research would be, when is the last time, if ever, a school has won an outright power conference title by three games, and then the next year... um. And then, and then the next year finished dead last in that league, and the next year finished dead last in that league. That cannot be normal. It's nothing's normal about what's happening there. It's it's just straight up bizarre. One in eleven. Oh, and seven. We'll mark it down. We'll we'll get back to them. But yeah, it's uh, it's not good. And they got Colorado and Utah coming up. I just, it's vexing what's happening there. I I noted them in the court report. I think last week and. Uh, yeah, they're just the they have the worst record of any team in a major seven league. It's just it's really really bad right now at Washington. Uh, but at the top of the league, UCLA, USC, Colorado looking good, uh, ranked highly. The predictive metrics like them, and uh, the Pac-12 could have a situation. This doesn't happen every single year where all, you could have three teams basically looking at five seeds or better potentially, and that's a good deal for the Pac-12. You mentioned Kentucky. Um, what did Cal say? Listen, Kentucky is just about done here. Let's right. be clear on this, okay? We're not going to continue to. This team is done. It's it's got to win the auto bid in the SEC. It, it lost an opportunity at Auburn. Uh, Kentucky fans were obviously frustrated with with Calipari's rotations and substitutions and what he did and didn't do uh, at four and eight. Uh, I think we've just about exhausted it. But you told me right before we started podcasting, and I, and I caught a little bit of this. But go ahead and inform the listeners. What did he say after the game, and why was it interesting to you? Okay, let me set the situation for you first. And just to double down on what Norlander just said, I promise you, if you hate Kentucky, we're about to be done with talking about it. There's, you know, at some point, the losses don't matter anymore because they're not, you know, I know John Calipari after Saturday's game said we've still got time, but they, they don't. And the team's not good enough. It's, it, they're missing the NCAA tournament. They're now four and eight, and they've got three obvious problems all season. Um, five-star freshmen that they have have not been good college basketball players. Two, can't shoot. Three, can't take care of the ball. And then it was the same is- issues against Auburn. Brandon Boston, five-star freshman, two and nine from the field, five points and five turnovers, I believe. Terrence Clark didn't play. He's the other five-star freshman. Kentucky shot 25% from three. They had 17 turnovers, just seven assists. Um, they just It's the same stuff. They've now played 12 games. 
and the games that they have lost have all featured the same things. The five-star freshmen don't perform. They can't shoot. They can't take care of the ball. Um, so after the game, because if you watched it, it became clear that Dante Allen was productive and having an impact on possibly winning. And Jacob Toppin was productive and having an impact on possibly winning. But after the game, but, but they didn't start the second half. And um, after the game, John Calipari was asked about this. And Dante Allen didn't play as many minutes in the second half as he did in the first. So I got this from Cal Tucker's Twitter feed from The Athletic. I'll just trust that this is exactly what happened. This is the way he presented it. I've got no reason not to trust it. The question posed to Cal was more or less, why didn't Dante Allen and Jacob Toppin start the second half? And Cal, um, among other things, said this, quote, I want to get, win every game we coach, but the other side of it is I'm not trying to take anyone's heart away, end quote. What that suggested is, listen, I hear you, but I start benching Brandon Boston to start the second half. I am, again, to use Cal's phrase, taking his heart away. How do you feel about that? Trying to juggle what you thought you would be doing and what recruiting rankings suggest in, in mock drafts suggest you should be doing. How do you weigh that against what you're watching with your eyeballs and what all of the data suggests through 12 games, how it contradicts the other stuff. How do you balance that? I mean, this is what the paycheck's for. And you're four and seven in that moment. You're not yet four and eight. Got to do every single thing possible to try and get your team to win the game. And clearly, I mean, Calipari and that staff have fallen well short of this this season. And it's an interesting quote for sure. Um, I, I I guess I'm a little I w- I don't know I'm a little confused by it because it's just again this just doesn't seem like usually Cal's not like this man. His whole thing is come to Kentucky. It's not come to Kentucky because it's hard, not because it's easy. Come to Kentucky because you want to be coached, not coddled. That whole thing. he has accurately campaigned on that, gotten number one rec- rated recruiting classes on that, and not wavered from that. And so listen, he's in the midst of the worst season of his head coaching career here and clearly just uh, you know grasping for answers that aren't there even when they tend to be obvious and uh, and yeah the the quote just was a little bit eyebrow raising and you got to go with what's working even though almost nothing is give yourself the best chance and not necessarily look to uh, to coddle the players um, who knows what other subtext was there what's what else might or might not be happening in the locker room with the team chemistry he's probably just trying as best he can to keep it together to give them best chance because from an SEC standings perspective they're still above 500 they still got a reason to, to point to a board and say look at us in this league we still got a chance I get all of that but uh, but it seemed to be some coaching negligence there and the fans would agree with that. They're obviously at this point uh, beyond frustrated with, with, with the staff and Cal because they, they think they have some answers there, whether they're right or not. Who's to say? Truly, you got to see a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, you know, I'm just about done with this team. I'm just about done with them, man. They're not good. They're, they're not, not good. good. They're not good. I've, I've talked to coaches about this dilemma before. Like, you enroll the five-star guy, so you have to play him or else – you know, it'll be used against you in recruiting. Like, uh, you know, you don't want to be a five-star guard. Go to that place. You'll sit on the bench. And so it's a it's a real balancing act. Almost the opposite of John Calipari as it pertains to this is Bill Self. You know, Bill Self has set five stars down, brought them off his bench, 
while playing less talented upperclassmen. Um, he's done it multiple times. Um, he's doing it uh, right now with, with, you know, Bryce Thompson, at least early in this season, um, you know, was playing limited minutes as a five-star uh, freshman. You know, I, I'm looking at it now in, in Bryce's past three games that he's appeared it's 13 minutes, 10 minutes, 14 minutes. Like Bill Self's trying to win basketball games with the best players he can, he can win them with. And he's always been that way. Oh, perhaps that's why he's never had a bad team. Like maybe, maybe that's got something to do with it. So John seems to be, I mean, he's even almost admitting it. Like, yes, I would rather start somebody else in the second half, but I'm not trying to rip somebody's heart away. Like he's almost acknowledging that there's some real credence to the question. And when I've talked to coaches about this, what they will tell you, or at least the ones I've talked to, what they have told me is that you can give your NBA prospects slash five-star freshmen the benefit of the doubt at the beginning and hope that it goes well. But if it doesn't go well and you continue to play that person over a more effective player, you run into real problems in your locker room because the players know. They, they know who should be on the court and who shouldn't. You can get away with it early. You can get away with it when it's questionable, but when it is undeniable that you've got a guy playing 35 minutes who's not helping you win, who's not being a good college basketball player, it, it, it causes problems because your other players recognize it. Your other players' parents recognize it, and it just it, it can snowball on you. And right now at Kentucky – B.J. Boston is not a good basketball player. He's, he's taking 12 shots a game. He's only making 4.2 of them, 34.7% from the field, 17.5% from three, turning it over two times per game. B.J. Boston is not one of Kentucky's best basketball players. He might be one of Kentucky's best NBA prospects. He's not one of Kentucky's best basketball players. And, you know, all of the data shows it. And Cal's starting to get questioned about it. Yeah. And his answer is basically an acknowledgement that I hear you, but I can't rip his heart out. I, I get, at this point, like how much worse can it get? I'm not even sure, but I did think it was a, it was a, a notable quote from a post-game press conference. Yeah. Um, I on college basketball co-host Sam Fasini, uh was tweeting about, and listen, if we got time on this podcast, we'll let him chime in with his thoughts here, of course, as always. But he tweeted on Saturday that BJ Boston's basically um, played himself out of being a prospect for this year, for 2021. You know, he was he entered the season as, uh, as someone who was a first-rounder, projected, and at this point, just it's just not there. And, th- you know, that happens sometimes, but, you know, uh, things need to be fixed, things need to be tweaked uh, in many ways. And might he wind up still going? Of course! He could still wind up de- declaring and getting drafted for sure, but... Uh, you talk to him and some other people that are kind of monitoring these things, and he is not what he was expected to be. And uh, that's one of many issues that Kentucky has right now. Kentucky uh, is four and eight, and now projected at Ken Palm to finish ten and fifteen. If that happens, it will be John Calipari's first losing season as a college head coach since nineteen eighty eight eighty nine. That was his first year as the head coach of the UMass Minutemen. That's that's real bad. Before we get out of here, by the way, um, I do want to just bring this up real quick because I thought about it and then I, I didn't wind up putting in the takeaways, but I but I almost did. Um, and then I've, I'm serious, then we're done with Kentucky. It's not like what's happening here is like, oh yeah, it's, it's the Billy Clyde redux. No, 
Billy Gillespie was at Kentucky for two seasons, and yeah, it wasn't great for Kentucky fans because what would ha- what happened was Tubby Smith got Kentucky to the tournament as a one seed in 03, 04, and as a two seed in 05. Then they got down to back-to-back seasons as an eight seed without making the Sweet 16, and the fans had had enough, and they booted him. Gillespie comes in. He wins 18 games his first season and makes it to uh, only the first round as 11 seeds out. Then wins 22 games the second season, goes 8-8 eight and eight in the league. He's gone. They bring in Cal. It's obviously the right move. But those teams were better than this team. So, I, th- you know, if you're a Kentucky fan, I think you might be aware of this. But kind of nationally for people tracking this, they might be thinking, man, it's been like when Kentucky was this bad, it was like the low years of Billy Clyde. No, they were better than this significantly. This is way worse. This is like top five worst seasons in program history. And with that, I mean, I'm done. You want to get to some Apple Podcast reviews? Let's get to some Apple Podcast reviews. And before GP goes into them, I um, want to say that we are getting closer and closer to 2,000 uh, reviews and comments. We love it. Continue to send in not just great comments, which we love. I don't know if GP's got a question here lined up. I've got one lined up on the back end. But uh, continue to send in the questions, and uh, and we'll gladly answer them. And if you've got questions on anything and you've previously you know, thrown in a review, as he said last time, Send in another one, and we want to get we want to get there. How about this? How about this? We want to get to two thousand. I think we should mark that you know just mild milestone with something. So you could ask a question, or as you leave your review, how about you also give us some fun or playful or legitimate suggestions about what we can do as a podcast, as a duo, to acknowledge our thanks for you and getting us to 2,000 reviews. So, send you know what? Send your recommendations. Think on it. We're genuinely interested to see what you can uh, drum up there. And I'm sure we'll have one or two really creative, really interesting ones that hopefully we will be able to fulfill. Okay. Every Sunday afternoon now, I just, I just I open them up and I start reading. And I love them. I love them. And I'm actually like find myself in an uncomfortable situation now because I feel like people are taking real time to, you know, it's not, people aren't really going there and just writing, this is my favorite podcast. Can't wait for every episode. You know, they're like writing real stories and, and, and some are personal stories. Some I, I believe are um, made up stories. Either way, they're like, people are writing stories and taking their time. And I, I, you, you combine that with the idea that they're listening to us talk multiple hours a week. Um, I, I can't say thank you enough. Um, I also can't read everyone on the podcast. I feel like I'm disappointing people like, oh, why didn't GP pick mine? I promise you, I love them all. I could read them all. I did read them all. The ones I select pull out are usually because, not because I think they're good or bad or better than the others, but I think we can maybe have a conversation about something tied to them. So that's my explanation. Um, but I do appreciate every single uh, one of you. Please keep doing it. it. It not only helps us, it makes me smile. And I like to smile. All right, Norlander, I'll start with this one. It comes from um, Miziak. Miziak appears to be the name or some pronunciation pronunciation of that. It says uh, starts this way. I saw Norlander at a Kansas City hen house trying to be respectful. I walked up to him and told him I loved his show. He looked at me, smirked, and told me thank you for wasting one minute of my life. He then proceeded to berate the poor cashier for not having Drake's coffee cakes in stock. Despite this incident, I'm still a huge fan of the podcast. Norlander and Parrish are full of insight, and their back and forth is perfect. Subscribe and enjoy. You won't be disappointed. Norlander, you ever been to a Kansas City hen house? 
never been to Kansas City other than to land at the airport. If we're going to create this subgenre of listeners <laughs> <laughs> erroneously claiming to have interactions with me around the country, I'll just roll with it. Never been to a KC hen house. I guess I got to get to one one of these days. Never really spent any time in KC other than the airport. It's one of uh, it's one of the cities in America I'm intrigued by just because I haven't been there. Like I haven't been to St. Louis. I haven't been to Kansas City. I haven't been to Seattle. That's my number one. I want to really get out to Seattle. But there's a few that uh, San Francisco's another. Just haven't gotten to these um, metropolises just yet. But I appreciate You've never been review. to San Francisco? have never been to San Francisco, man. I've been to oh, L.A. Man. like ten times and been to San Diego like five times, but I've never been to San Fran. I've been to all of those places you just named. St. Louis is obviously dry. Like, it's so weird. People in, like where you grew up in the Northeast, you don't understand this. Like, because if you live, grew up in the Northeast you're you're 90 minutes away from other big cities right. like you know in in where i grew up the closest uh, the closest big city let's just say big city we'll describe it as something that has a major league a franchise like nba franchise mlb franchise nfl franchise the closest is st louis five hours away yikes so that's where we'd go yeah. you know it's like hey you want to go on a road trip let's go to st louis i guess new orleans is maybe right around the same time maybe a little longer but st louis new orleans both like around five hours um so i've been to st louis a bazillion times that's where i would go when i was young you know my dad would take me hey let's the mets are in st louis let's go see the mets play in st louis so we'd go to st louis a lot and then um, been to Seattle, been to San Francisco multiple times. Love it. Been to Kansas City a whole bunch of times. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a nice town. Also, uh, you never been to a hen house. That's fine. All right, we'll move on. And by the way, keep making up stories about when you met Norlander sure. and and he was rude to you. It makes me laugh. <laughs> okay, this one comes from uh, Willie the Wave. He said, "I'm currently listening to this podcast as I wait in line for my COVID vaccine." Um, he says, "Oh, by the way." I've never heard you guys talk about it, but the difference between standing in line versus online seems mm. like one of those pointless things you two would have strong opinions about. Norlander, do you stand in line or online? You know, I don't know if there's a grammatically correct uh, term on this. I feel like online is, is British and inline is, is American. I, I prefer I'm standing in line. Do you have a preference? Yes, yeah, you're standing in a line. I, I agree. You're line. standing in a line. But I think in England, if you're doing that same exact thing, you're standing online. But again, I always appreciate the grammar grievances, the grammar tips, the grammar suggestions. I had one. I'm not going to remember it right now and here now. I had one that I thought about GP like two days ago. I was like, I want to bring this up on the pod. I've completely forgot about it. But we continue to encourage this. And as I come across them, we will continue to bring it up. I actually looked it up earlier today. It is proper. It's in line. But in the Northeast, lots of people, this is what I read, do say online. I think that's ridiculous. You're not standing online to get uh, to get a hot dog. You're standing in line to get a hot dog. You know what? I take back what I said 60 seconds ago because I actually think if you're in England, you're standing on queue or in queue. It's not even online. It's, it's the queue over there. So it's a total different deal altogether. Anyway, was that the review or is there a question in there? I don't know. I'm just going to keep reading. Keep going. Uh, this is so uh, Willie's standing in line to get his vaccine. He said, I'm going on hour two here and my jacket isn't warm enough. And having to listen to Gary brag about how many blankets he owns is torturous. <laughs> but if waiting in line will get us through the this dumb, this, the dumbest pandemic of our lives, that wait in line, I, then wait in line, I will. He says, I'm a high school basketball coach who doesn't have nearly enough time to devour the amount of college basketball that I need in my life. But this podcast keeps me abreast on everything I need to know and keeps me laughing while, I, while, uh, while it does it. There is one question and one statement. I'll make before this review with hardly um, with hardly talking about why this podcast is so epic. 
first question is sometimes we talk about the dodo bird a new intro fixture in the podcast i think it is until i decide it's not but for now i think it is and he had a statement he left this earlier in the week his statement was pepperdine beats gonzaga tomorrow night by two it didn't work out that didn't work out gonzaga won by 25 that didn't that that did that, that. Did not work out even remotely. By the way, I'm totally in favor of you just one day dropping Dodo from the from the intro and just like, and I won't say anything. We'll just keep on going. If we want to make this a certain phase, I'm totally good with that. No worries. I don't know. I might want to talk about Dodo birds again. Fair enough. Hey, listen, whenever you want to, I'm all good for it. Okay. This one comes from Biking Michael. Biking Michael. He writes, despite the fact that Parrish and Norlander repeatedly claim that no one has a good record against St. K., when lefty when lefty won 50% of of their 16 head to heads while gary i'm assuming gary williams won a little more than 44% of their 27 matchups i forgive them because they are so young hopefully when they are my age 70 they will supplement their encyclopedic knowledge of college basketball <laughs> for, for instance, did you know that there are always exactly four teams in the final four? Never in history have there been more or less in their sense of humor about themselves as well as others with a little wisdom. When Parrish is telling stories about his adventures as a parent, I sometimes have to pull over and stop driving because I'm laughing so hard. But then they will surprise me with a moving discussion. Once again, both personal or societal. Parrish talking about what his wife, he and his wife went through when they lost a child and dead legs discussion of George Floyd tragedy were especially memorable. When an episode drops, it immediately goes to the top of my playlist. Shout to Gravis Vasquez. That comes from Michael who is 70. And I just like the idea that 70 year old Michael and also like a 13 year old that we shouted out a few weeks ago um, are, are both listening to the same podcast. I never really have a sense for who like my, my father is 65. I don't think, I don't know that he could download this podcast. I don't know Same. that he could figure it. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think he could, um, but, 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 but we do have old, older listeners who remember the lefty Giselle and Gary Williams eras. I would argue that 44% is not, that's not great. I mean, that's more losses than wins, but if, Le- if lefty was, uh, uh, 50% of 16 head to heads. That's, that's pretty good against Coach K. So noted. I'll never forget that. Lefty had a nice record against Coach K. And shouts to you, Michael. Okay. I've got one. Let's how many, see. How many more you got? Like the three or four or something like that. I got I got, I got, got two in the chamber, just so you know. And I agree with you when you read that. I, I love the fact that we've got 13-year-olds and 70-year-olds alike listening to this podcast. Uh, keep it up. That's awesome to hear. How about this one? From Caitlin. I absolutely love the podcast. Been listening to it for years. I'm a true College Hoops fan and recently moved to Africa to work as a nurse. I was sad to miss a whole college basketball season, and due to poor internet, I was unable to stream games. However, I am able to listen to this podcast, and it was amazing to stay connected and informed about what was happening. How about that? So we have a 70-year-old, a 13-year-old, and Caitlin in Africa. Um and by the way, how awesome is that? Like to, to, to decide that's how I'm going to spend my life, uh, moving to another continent where perhaps I'm more needed than I otherwise would be and trying to make a real difference in the world. Like whenever you think you're doing something important, like ranking 26 basketball teams every morning, like don't ever forget Caitlin's in Africa um, helping sick people. So shouts to her. Hold on. And did she identify where in Africa? I don't have that in I mean, my Listen, I've just brought it up as we did this. Uh, you know, about two months ago, we went through some of the countries here. So, Caitlin, drop back in to the reviews. Let us know. Because in the past two weeks, I got the stats right here. Morocco, nine downloads. Senegal, only one. 
South Africa 22. Over under Madagascar 5.5 downloads. What you got, GP? I say, I say, I think we're big in Madagascar. Well, we got six downloads. However, we're big in Tanzania. 13 downloads. Kenya, give us seven. Listen, we're not, uh, we haven't made it big. Egypt, just two. We got Egypt, come on, step up the game. And we have one download in Sudan in the past two weeks of this podcast. We got to step it up. Ghana, 13. I'll take it. Um, any any other ones? Here? What about Ivory Coast? Give me the Ivory Coast here. What do we got here? Uh, Sierra Leone, zero. Yeah, that's not, that's zero, unfortunately. Nigeria's got 11. And we're going to end this with, uh, how about Zambia? Zero. Botswana. Shut out. Nothing. Namibia. Can we get Caitlin? Caitlin, could you move to Botswana? And download a couple, please. Namibia has one. Um, okay, how about that? So there we go. Yeah, just curious where in, uh, where in Africa she is. We, Caitlin, we're going to need you to juice those numbers for us. we got to expand. It's not like we're talking about uh, Brazil here. 60 downloads the past two weeks out of Brazil. Uh, Africa needs to be on the level of Brazil, and we got to get it there. All right, this one comes from Cole. He says, I'm a college basketball junkie, and this is the best podcast out there. GP and Norlander are the best. And let me be clear. I didn't pick that one because Cole called us the best, although I appreciate that. I picked it because it's Cole Rabideau, who is Jason Rabideau's son. And oh. Jason was once, you might remember this name, he was the head coach at UTEP. Sadly, he passed away far too young back in 2014. Um, it's a wild story. He was coaching in Vietnam. It's complicated. I won't even try to get into it. Wright Thompson did do a big piece on it a few yes. years back. Great piece. You can Google that if you want. Either way, I just thought it was cool to hear from, from Cole. His dad used to work for Kelvin Sampson. And part of Cole's review, and I smiled when I read this, He's going to be a GA for Kelvin at Houston next season. So that's awesome. Uh, good luck to Cole, and uh, we obviously appreciate you, you listening. Um, let's see. Okay, I got two more. Here's one. It says, hey, fellas, of course I love the pod, have been listening and reading your guys' work for years. I love college hoops and have always followed every league and dig through advanced stats and regular box scores, watch a ton of games every day, and always wanted to write. My friend and I met on Twitter. You read his review last week. I became a writer for his site, makingthemadness.com, and now co-host on his pod twice a week. I strive to be as entertaining as GP. Aim higher, buddy. Aim higher. Um, and, but not, uh, but not sure I would, would have ever found the inspiration to actually go after it without listening to you guys pod for years. I've dealt, uh, with anxiety and depression for years and sports have always been my escape. Now, since May, 2020, I've spoken to probably around 50 players, a fair amount of coaches, write a preview of games each day with random stuff mixed in. And I'm followed by strong jaw Kyle Boone on Twitter and Rob Doster, two things I never thought would have been feasible in my lifetime. Hoping one day to be as big as you guys and the two of you are my biggest inspiration. So you'll always hold a soft spot in my heart. Hashtag Reeves Nelson Pavilion and everyone yes. wins inside Pinnacle Bank. That's from Sean. Uh, thank you, Sean. That's real sweet. Um, listen, man, everybody starts somewhere, right? Everybody's got an interesting story. I, I, I Sometimes when I, I am asked to go back before, you know, pre, before the stupid ridiculous pandemic i would go speak to college journalism classes sometimes and the professor would say uh okay gary could you tell him like how did you go from here to there and i would tell this whole story and and then i would say okay now for like you can you can remember it, it, that story doesn't apply to you the, 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 I, I my story won't be your story 
And, and my story isn't somebody else's story. And you could go talk to somebody who has similar jobs to me and they don't have the same story. It's a million different ways to get to the exact same spot. And there's more ways to get there now than there were when I was in college. When I was in college, it, it was basically you had to work at the campus newspaper, get out of college, hope to get an internship or a small time newspaper job and then work your way up like that's You can still do it that way, but there's a million ways to do it. So the most important thing for anybody who actually wants to try to do this type of thing for a living is to just do it in whatever form you are allowed to do. It. And it sounds like Sean's doing that. And, uh, I can't wait to check his workout. That's wonderful review. And make sure you love it. That's the other thing. You got to actually really love it, especially when you're getting into it. Uh, love it like I love it. And you're going to probably find yourself uh, on the path that you want to be on. That's a good one. Okay. Give me your last one. You can, you can, you can, you can stop loving it. You can love it a little less. As well, you know. yeah, you can, listen, <laughs> I, I was speaking in code there. Let's not, let's not, let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. You can love it like yeah. I love it, or you can like it like GP likes it. And then you can decide which path you want to go down. All right. Give me your last one. Okay, last one. Amazing podcast, but Norlander has questionable eating habits. Oh, boy. First off, I have to thank both Parrish and Norlander for the hours of content they have provided me over the past few years. The countless hours of laughing at idiotic comments or random stories of people I am not familiar with have given me pure joy during the college basketball season. I have been wanting to write a review to tell this somewhat awkward story from 2018. I was lucky enough to attend the first weekend of the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh. Were you there, Norlander? I was. In, uh, okay. I don't know where this is going, and I'm not okay. happy. But go, okay. I was in Pittsburgh in 2018. Okay. At this time, I was a relatively new listener to the pod, and I thought I saw a young Norlander sitting near the concession stands in between games. As I went to approach him to thank him for the hard work he puts in on the podcast, I was stopped in my tracks when he took a bite out of his hot dog horizontally. Yes, he ate the entire hot dog horizontally to try and explain this better to give, give the listeners a picture horizontally as in open bun side facing mouth, almost like eating corn on the cob, but with a hot dog. So needless to say, I did not go up to Mr. Norlander and return to my seat, almost unable to explain to my friends what I just witnessed. Can you please address why you eat hot dogs horizontally, Norlander? Shouts to my Sienna Sates. Do you eat hot dogs that way? No, I'm a pescatarian. I don't even eat hot dogs. This is another <laughs> fake story. No, I think that's... that's this that's, isn't that's, real. I was in Pittsburgh. Was it 2018? It was the year that uh, that uh, Duke was there, and that was, yeah, that was Rhode Island getting there, and then Hurley took the UConn job after that. So I was there, not eating a hot dog, don't eat hot dogs, haven't eaten a hot dog since 1998. So unfortunately, inaccurate... Not true. Wrong, wrong, Don't wrong, drop that wrong. nonsense on me. Okay. Now, what I got- What do you put on your hot dog? You don't eat hot dogs. Don't eat hot dogs. I got a real problem in my house. My middle guy, Oliver, named after Oliver Purnell, he puts ketchup on his hot dog, and I hate it. Yeah. I hate That's ketchup. That's a kid like, thing. I, what do you want my kids to do the same thing? Yeah, but I wanted my kids to be better. Well, they're not- <laughs> <laughs> I wanted my kids to be, be better. a long journey there. Okay. I wanted my kids to put mustard on their hot dogs. I think- Ketchup does have a place. French fries, hamburgers, not on a hot dog. And I can't, I can't properly explain to you why I'm cool with uh, ketchup on a hamburger, but grossed out by it on a hot dog. I'm just telling you I am. And yet every time we're doing hot dogs in the backyard or something, I'll say, all right, Oliver, uh, you want mustard, right? He'll say, no, 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 ketchup. I was like, mustard? Even honey? What about honey mustard? No, 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 ketchup. Jeez, I failed as a parent. Not good. By I the way, I was going to fail as a parent. 
700 downloads in Japan the past two weeks. Shouts really? to Japan. We love you over there. All right, I got two. How do you two. spell shouts? How do you say shouts in Japanese? We need to learn that. Don't know. Hey, if anyone knows, drop it in the reviews. Okay, I got two of them for you. One of them is unbelievable. Um, and it was not in the iTunes reviews. I got it over direct message. I'll save that one for last. I went deep back to August for a question in the reviews. This is from Cole from South Carolina. Question for a slow week in August. Cole from South Carolina here. I'm living proof that Clemson basketball fans actually exist. I, dare I say, enjoy Clemson basketball more than Clemson football. What? So here's my question. Can Little John Coliseum please get some love? Last season, three top 10 teams came to Little John and lost. Enter a big okay from Little John the Red. <laughs> I think we might have a new Pinnacle Bank Arena. No, that's the whole point is that you don't have a new Pinnacle Bank Arena, Cole from South Carolina. But he Dude, says, Iowa can't the- win at Pinnacle Bank. You know, Iowa can't win at Pinnacle Bank. That's right. That's right. So shouts to the Clemson version of Terry Teagle, Dale Davis, which is absolutely on the money. Shouts to Dale Davis there. Um, we talked about Clemson at the top of the podcast. Little John, uh, but you named it. Um, you named it the uh, OPC, right? Yeah, I'll pronounce Coliseum, but it, proper name is Little John Coliseum. I've been to Little John Coliseum, and it was excellent. It's when Oliver Purnell had it rocking and rolling at Clemson. North Carolina came in there. They beat North Carolina, I think, or either North Carolina beat them. Doesn't matter. And then I stayed out till like four in the morning with Jason Witten. True story. Jason Witten, one of Jason Witten's best friends is Mike Morrell, who's now the head coach at UNC Asheville. At the time, he was an assistant coach at Clemson. So after I file my column, he's like, hey, uh, me and some of the you know, you know, other people are going to you know get some dinner and drinks later on. Do you want to go? I said, yeah, I'll just text you when I'm done, and then you tell me where you're at, and I'll come meet you. So I walk into some restaurant, sit on the table. It's like four or five guys. I meet everybody. Hey, I'm Gary. Hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, I'm Jason. I'm like, hey, Jason. And uh, I mean, this is like in the prime cowboy years. And so at some point, the waitress isn't coming over. And I said, I guess I'm just going to go to the bar and get a drink. I said, does anybody need anything? And this Jason fella says, yeah, I need something. I'll just go with you. And I said, cool. And so we walk to the bar and we and get our drinks and we come back. And then at some point, Jason goes to the bathroom. And one of the other guys there, he's like, how cool is Jason? I was like, yeah, it seems like a nice guy. He's like, it, it's wild that like he's, uh, you know, that Jason Witten is just like the, the nicest guy in the world. I'm like, that's Jason Witten from the Cowboys. He said, yeah, ridiculous. He's like, he's like, he, he's like Mike and he and Mike grew up together. I was like, I've been hanging out with Jason Witten for an hour and I had no idea. Then as the night went on, it was like we went. People, it became, oh, Jason Witten's at the bar. It became a thing. People taking pictures and stuff. And I thought for sure we were going to end up on dead spin, but we didn't. Everything was fine. But Jason Witten, I can attest, uh, nicest guy, one of the nicest guys in the world. We had a really fun night in Clemson, South Carolina, one time. We'll get some more Little John OPC love here on the podcast. Okay, last one. This is wild. Hi, my name is, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, um, but potentially I won't. I think it's Tara Stofisher. I'm a huge college basketball fan, and without the NCAA tournament last year, I found myself really needing a basketball fill. Over the summer, I found this podcast, and once I started listening, I could not stop. I started at the beginning of 2014 in mid-July last year, and I have now finally caught up. It has been so fun listening to you guys talk about everything from Devin Downey to Leaky Black to now the Dodo Bird. You two do a great job of keeping me updated on the games I might miss in overall basketball analysis. Now here, here's the part that's wild. P.S. 
I play for the Wisconsin women's basketball team. So if you could continue showing some love and trust to the men's team, it would be much appreciated. P.S. I'm also a Bears fan. Bear down. That's right, Tara. Bear down. How about this? Tara Stofacher played in all 11 games for Wisconsin this season. The number one player in the state of Wisconsin rated by Max Preps coming out of high school. Three-time first-team all-conference selection at Beaver Dam High. Offensive player of the year. The most three-pointers in Beaver Dam High history. This is incredible. Averaging 16.3 point minutes a game this season with the Badgers. D1 athlete involved in the podcast going back to 2014. That's a wild to me. And I, I'm, I so appreciate that message. And to anyone that does that, that is just incredible. I can't imagine what that experience must have been like in the middle of August to be listening to us, to us break down the NCAA tournament bracket in 2016. <laughs> like, like, sure. You're, you might you might have heard like 150 words combined from Sam Vecini. I actually think you go back to 2014. That's Jeff Borzello era as well. Um, just incredible, incredible Tara, stuff. Tara, Tara, if uh, and it might be Tara down in the south. Tara's Tara. Yeah, you know? it's 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 an either one. I, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, so. down in the south. It, 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 trust me, if, if she, I, you know, I know she went to is Beaver Dam. Beaver Dam High School up in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, well, if she went to Beaver Dam High School down in Mississippi, she would be Tara, not Tara. I promise you. Um, Tara, if you're listening, I will share my Netflix subscription sign-in with you if you need it. <laughs> there, there are better ways to spend your time than listening to three-year-old podcasts. But but see, like, tech, direct message me. I've got Hulu. I got Netflix. I got Disney Plus. I, I, you I got can't be Peacock. getting Wisconsin in trouble for impermissible benefits. What are you <laughs> what? trying to do right now? <laughs> what if this led to me providing impermissible benefits to a Wisconsin women's basketball player and they get put on uh, a postseason ban because of me? Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? I'd uh, write the column. I'd rip them. I'd rip the NCAA for doing it. That'd be that'd be just <laughs> dripping with irony and just truly a tragic turn there. So before you go out handing, first of all, before you go out handing your password to you know, uh, digital streaming services to just anyone, maybe think about that first and then consider the potential fallout here with some NCAA violations, you know? You got my Sunday ticket password. I can't even watch Sunday ticket on my phone sometimes. You know what? It's all you now, man. Bear season's over. I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> there was one time I was actually, I wasn't at home and I was going to stream a game on my Sunday ticket. I'm mostly just at home and I just have the, you know, I have multiple televisions and I just turn the cape, direct TV boxes on and I just have, I don't even stream this Sunday ticket game, but I wasn't home and I was like, I'll stream this game while I'm not at home. And it was like, you're already signed in on another device. And I was like, you know what, Norlander, this is my subscription. I can stream it if I want to. And then I was like, I don't, whatever I'm about to watch, I don't care about as much as he cares about the Bears game. I know he's watching right now. And so I just let you watch the Bears game. I just let you stream it. Well, what happened was, and then we can get out of here. We're going long, but it's fine. Um, my, I was actually outside the room. I think it was a commercial. So I was, you know, getting something in the living room or whatever. And my wife goes, hey, the game stopped playing here. So I was like, hmm, that's weird. I guess I'll just kind of log back on. So what actually happened was you logged on, watched for about 27 seconds, and then I yes. booted you right off again. You kicked me off my own. Like, Get the hell ticket. out of here. What are you doing right now? <laughs> Bears I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Tara, hit me up if you need a Netflix subscription. Anything you need, I'm here for you. I promise you. Uh, we appreciate you listening. That's a that's a really, really awesome story. Amazing. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Lauren. Now, thank you guys once again listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest, worst, 
most stupid po- pandemic of my lifetime. This is the worst one by far. Worst one by far. I'll, I'll, I'll actually double. Worst one by far. Way worse than I ever thought it was going to be. They're now saying 500,000 Americans are going to be dead by end of February. Worst one of my lifetime. The dumbest one by far. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. And we will talk to you again real soon on Wednesday morning. Until then, take care. docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.